right. They're calling an audible a little bit. I know we're just throwing you around today. You don't want me to pray for you? Thank you. Never. You messed up so many times. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for praying for me. I'm not wearing any shoes, and I've got to, okay. That's all right. It's fine. You can just pretend I have my hand on you. I got you. Okay. Hey, God, I just want to come to you this morning with an attitude of gratitude. (laughs) I'm just so thankful that we have this place to be able to come. And yes, it's your house, but we're still able to continue life here. We're able to do life with each other. Uh, We're able to be humbled. Thank you for just reminding us that we're all not perfect. Even the people that get up here, um, and you have gifted them, like with Andrew, thank you for his gift of uh, being able to stand up here and uh, uh, share your word this morning, but thank you for just reminding both them and us that they're not perfect either, and it's awesome, and life is messy and crazy, but I'm so thankful that we're able to do it all together Uh, with your love and guidance. And I just pray that you bless the rest of the conversations that will be had at the table this morning and after we leave this place. um, And hopefully, you know, I just pray, I just want an open heart surgery this morning, Lord. I just pierce my heart, pierce everybody's heart here this morning with whatever you are going to bring to us this morning through Andrew um, and just... I want to cover Andrew in peace so he can just get so fired up for you and bring your word this morning. Uh, We thank you and we love you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I can take that. So uh, for, the, for the kids in the room, if you haven't found it yet, there are some coloring books and crayons at that table right over there. Um, head on over there and pick them up. Adults too. I know listening to someone talk for, for 23, 25 minutes is, man, that's, that's a long time. Um, <clears throat> the end of the message today is, is going to be a little heavy. We kind of wanted to start on a lighter note. So we're going to show a video and it, I'm not going to give it any context. It's just going to play and you're going to watch it and just, it's going to play. my bone. Okay, we'll do one more sequence and then we'll stop. You ever have an itch that you just can't scratch? <laughs> um, so you'll notice a lot of people ask, well, what's, what's going on with this? I just, I just have a little bit of tendonitis, so just, just brace yourselves. Um, I, it's going to be fine. I, I stole that joke from, from Rachel right here. I did steal that joke. So the reason I showed that clip without any context uh, <clears throat> is today we're talking about dogs. 
Uh, no, we're not talking about dogs. Um, that dog was confused, to say the least, right? Uh, he's trying to eat his bone, he or she, and um, he, he saw his foot coming up, and he's trying to scratch his ear, and he assumes that it is somebody trying to take his food. So that's a big no-no. You ever see a dog trying to eat? You don't want to mess with them while he's getting in their food unless you know they're going to be okay with it. So he was, he was confused about who his enemy was. And this is a long shot, but today we're talking about Paul's enemies. <laughs> Kind of foot in the mouth thing going on here. Um, it was the last one. <laughs> um, no, Paul, uh, to, to, to recap us a little bit, we've got a lot of, of, of scripture to, 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 to read through. So the intro stuff is going to be kind of shorter. But Paul's kind of faced with his enemies. Uh, he's faced um, face-to-face with, with the Jewish population. He's face-to-face with the Roman authorities. Um, and he's face-to-face with potentially uh, his accusers. I want to challenge, though, who we are calling our enemies. The conversation with us is probably going to go better than if I tried to talk with the dog about why his foot is not the enemy, uh, but we're going to kind of challenge who we see as, as our enemy as we dive into this, this passage, the whole of, of Acts 26, minus a few verses in the middle. Um, <clears throat> Paul, he's a church planter, sent to Jerusalem. All of his friends told him not to go because he's going to get hurt there, and sure enough, he gets hurt, he gets caught, um, and, and he's been wrongfully imprisoned for a few years now, uh, tortured and, and abused and mistreated by the authorities and the Jewish population. Population. And we pick up the story as Paul has called an appeal to Caesar, the, the ultimate authority and judge in Rome. And on his way there, uh, this guy named King Agrippa and his sister kind of stop and they say, all right, I want to hear the testimony before you send him to Caesar. And then that's where we pick up the story with Paul in front of King Agrippa, in front of Festus, the governor in the area, this new governor, and all the prominent men of the city and the Jews who are bringing accusations against him. We're going to pick up the story there, uh, and, and really I'll stop here and there along the way, um, but the, the scripture is going to kind of do most of the talking, and then I just want to challenge some of our perspectives on some things. So if you want to follow along, we're going to start with Acts 25, verse 23. It'll be on the screen. Your Bibles at the tables are NIV. I'm reading out of the ESV. It'll just be a little bit different, um, but you should be able to follow along just fine. So, verse 23, Acts 25. On the next day, Agrippa and, and, and Bernice, or Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes, the commanders, and the prominent men of the city. Then, at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. They're shouting, kill him. But I found that he had done nothing deserving death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. I've got nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. So I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa. So that after we have examined him, I might have something to write. For it seems to be unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. Festus comes in strong. He's confident. He's the new governor. He's got control over the situation so that Rome doesn't look weak. And then he's like, but I actually, I have no idea what's going on. So King Agrippa, can you help me? Acts 26. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul, in a very theatrical way, stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you, 
are familiar with all the customs and, and controversies of the Jews, so I beg you to listen to me patiently. Paul goes on, my manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my, my own nation, and in Jerusalem was known by all of the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they're willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee, and now I stand here on trial because of my hope and the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? That incredible, Paul's not saying like, why is it thought by you that it's amazing? He's saying, why, why, why do you think that God couldn't do this? That this isn't a credible thing that could happen? The God of the universe, of course he has the power to raise people from the dead. Paul starts his defense basically by saying, you all know me. You've known me since I was a kid. I've lived uh, in, the, in the strictest party of the Jewish religion, the Pharisees. You know me. Look at my life. He goes on, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison uh, after receiving authority from the chief priests, but, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all of the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Um, can, can you raise your hand if you have a past Right, right. There was a moment there like, should I raise my hand or not? And we, we of course, all have a past. Uh, actually, Bryce and I, we go way back. In, in, in kindergarten, we were best buds, me, him, and Thomas. I don't remember Thomas's last name. But we, <laughs> we were best friends. Uh, I even went to his house one time for a birthday party. Uh, we ruled that playground, but we've, we've, all got, we've all got a pet. Paul is, so he's saying, look at my past from when I was a kid. I lived to the strictest party of this religion, but also, just like you're doing to me, I, I, I killed the followers of Jesus. Me, Bryce, and Thomas didn't kill anybody, but, but you get the point. When, when they were put to death, I cast my vote. I punished them. I followed them from city to city. I left my hometown so that I could persecute them, traveling probably months at a time to make sure that these followers of Jesus were put down. And he, he goes from here to, to share the story of his conversion. When he meets Jesus on the way to Damascus, a bright light shines around him, uh, and he's blinded for a few days, and a voice leads him to a man named Ananias. And this won't be on the screen, but I wanted to capture just the end of that little testimony when Jesus is talking to Paul. He says, but rise, stand upon your feet. For I've appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a, ser a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Really quick, Paul's beginning to show his hand to King Agrippa, to the Jews, to Rome. As he says, Jesus hasn't just sent Paul for God's people, but for all people. He's standing in front of somebody who has the power to execute him and would be totally willing. And he's saying, Christ sent me for you. He starts to open his hand. Jesus says, to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. We can pick it up, verse 19. This will be on the screen. Therefore, Paul says, O King Agrippa, 
I wasn't disobedient to the heavenly vision. If, if, if you or I were to be walking down the road and, and a bright light filled the sky so that we were blinded for three days and a voice came from the heavens, none of us in this room would dare disobey whatever that voice said, right? Of course, he's like, King Agrippa, of course, I followed what that voice said. It was pretty insane what was going on. So I followed it. Uh, I declared first to those in Damascus, Paul says, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Paul is talking to Gentiles and Jews right now who need a lot of repentance. Part of our walk with Christ is to seek repentance, to receive it, and to respond to God's grace with good deeds. Verse 21, for this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I've had the help that comes from God. God has sustained me in and through all this. So I stand here testifying both to small and great, the little people and the big people, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Here's Paul. He has laid out his entire hand now, saying that this isn't just a new thing God is doing today. He has always been about this. You look at Moses, you look at the prophets, all the Jewish people in the room, Paul is saying, look, you can see it all the way through there, and it comes into culmination in Christ. This is the, the, the plan from the get-go, and, and Paul says it's not just for the Jews, it's for you, Roman citizens. It's for you, oppressive rulers of Rome. It's for you, Jewish people who have wrongfully imprisoned me. Paul lays out his hand. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Governor Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is, is, is driving you crazy. I, I don't think Festus thinks that it's possible for the, the Jewish population, for the Roman population, for the followers of Christ to get along at this point. It would take a miracle to reconcile these three groups of people together. I don't think Festus has a big vision for unity here. And I think Paul does. Of course it's going to take a miracle. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind. Most excellent Festus. But I'm speaking true and rational words, for the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly, for I'm persuaded that none of these things have escaped his notice. For it's not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. Paul, literally in front of the guy who could say, all right, we're going to execute you for what you just said. He says, I know you've seen what's been happening in this whole Christian movement sort of thing. You know uh, the text of the Bibles. You're, you're familiar with the Jewish tradition. You've seen all of this happening. And you think King Agrippa is kind of like, yeah, well, uh, we did hear about Jesus kind of raising someone from the dead and, and, and feeding uh, a few thousand people with just a couple loaves of bread and some fish. And, and then there was the whole, we kind of killed him in front of everybody, like, like really, 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 really uh, badly, and, and we made him suffer, and, and, and then, and now people are saying, he's, so this all happened in public. Paul's just saying to King Agrippa, look at the facts. Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Paul wants them to experience life. Paul is certain in the power of resurrection that leads to reconciliation and unity. The trial's over. The king rose, and the governor and Bernice or Bernice and those who were sitting with them, and, and they, they had, when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free had he not appealed to Caesar. 
Paul, Paul could have been free right now if he hadn't said, I appeal to Caesar. So who are Paul's enemies here? Uh, Paul's enemies so far are uh, Roman authority, who has been wrongfully imprisoning him for years now. The, the Jewish population uh, that has decided Paul has got to go, who trapped him in the temple, who beat him and sent him to prison. Paul's loud mouth is another enemy. If he were to shut his mouth, it would have been fine. He could go free right now. Um, actually, if we fast forward 2,000 years, I think we've got some enemies too. So let's just, let's just, let's just spitball a few of the enemies that, I mean, we could, we could say uh, pretty easily enemies to society, enemies to, to order, enemies to peace. Uh, one that we could easily say is, right, terrorists. That's an easy one to say. Um, uh, murderers could, could say that those are enemies. Um, People who, uh, who take advantage of children. Those are enemies. Abusers. Mass shooters. Uh, agents who have brought chaos into peaceful situations. Who have brought havoc and death. Um, I think we can keep going. Most of the time, I think we are our own greatest enemy. And we look in the mirror and think, you aren't good enough. And the question is, good enough for what? And there's this vague, all of it. What's that? Our peers, yeah. When we're hurt by somebody else. Some people, uh, you know, could say government. Uh, political extremes, left or right, we've made an enemy out of in a lot of ways. Uh, here's one that, that when we start to look at our own lives uh, and maybe look, these, look back into our past and, and think, man, I had really bad parents and I've never forgiven them. Sometimes we consider them to be our enemies or ex-boyfriends, girlfriends, or husbands or wives who took everything. Um, I think if Paul thought that the Roman authorities were the enemy, if Paul thought that the Jewish population, if they were the enemy, if Paul thought that the government, if these people wrongfully accusing him were the enemy, I don't think he would have come with a testimony. I think he would have come with a defense. So I want to ask us to reconsider what it means to consider somebody an enemy. Because as soon as we start saying somebody is the enemy, we start fighting a losing battle. We put up walls and we close doors and we remove space for the gospel. So who are the true enemies then? And if, if you leave here today with just these, these five things that, that we can join Christ in the fight against, that he's already won, that would be awesome. There are more enemies than this, but I want to point out five that I think are really prevalent in our uh, culture, in our churches, in our society First one is sin. And I don't just mean like, uh, you know, like, like partying on the weekend or, uh, or, or doing something, you know, you might, you might regret. I mean, I mean sin, uh, the effects of sin and active sin, they, they rips families apart. For the, for the kids in the room, uh, as, you, as you go to school, uh, you're going to see and feel the effects of sin in your school. 
when somebody mistreats you, when somebody calls you in it, you're going to feel the brokenness as you go from elementary to middle to, to high school and, and on. And my encouragement for, for the kids in the room and for all of us is when you experience sin to run the other way, to just run. The second lie that I want to talk about or the second, uh, the second enemy that we've got is isolation. And this one in particular, I want to talk to the men in the room. Uh, Chris Peters found a, found a study about the average number of friends a given man has. Just like somebody you can share how you're doing emotionally, spiritually, what's going on in your life. And the average number of friends for, for a man is 0.7. That's awful. And part of that is because society tells men that emotions make you weak. That as you express sadness or pain or, or loneliness or express the need for help, that suddenly you're less of a man. And so we close down. So my challenge for the men in the room is to man up and open up. Because the most dangerous place a follower of Christ can be is in isolation. It's when sin creeps in. It's when, it's when loneliness creeps in. And I'm not talking about like being extroverted versus introverted or being married or single. I'm talking about a living, loving community. That's, that's why we gather around the tables. That's why we, that's why we gather at our houses midweek uh, so that we can build meaningful relationships so that we don't experience suffering in isolation. The third one, the third enemy that we've got that I want to talk about is when we believe in the wrong identity, an identity lie. And this one I want to talk to the ladies in the room, the women in the room. Historically, women have been abused, oppressed, Historically, there's been a glass roof above women. And in many cultures and historically, women have been thought of as less than human. That has led society to say, if you're a woman, you've got to outperform. You've got to be better. You've got to do better than the men at your side. And if you're not a, a super mom and or a super wife, then you really are, aren't like a full woman. And my challenge for the women in the room is to hear this, that your identity, your value, does not come from what you've accomplished, does not come from fighting those good fights, does not come from whether or not you're a good mom or a good wife, but that you are a daughter of the father of all creation. That is where your value comes from. The fourth enemy I want to talk about is pretty obvious. That's Satan himself. I don't think, and I say I don't think because there's a lot of interpretation that can happen here. But I, I don't usually think that, that the way that, that Satan moves and, and demons move looks like Hollywood portrays it. I don't think there's often foaming at the mouth and, and big earthquakes and, and, and shaking things happen. I think often Satan works uh, intricately and slowly so that uh, we, are, we are just this close to where God wants us to be, but it's, but it's around, I mean, if these two points, it is around the whole page. We're so far off, but it looks so close. And that's, that's not for men, women, that's for all of us. It's to seek for ways that, that, that the enemy has, has caused division in families, division 
in churches. I mean, you, you see the, the division in the church in America, the polarization of our nation, which it's always been polarized. I, I think the main work of, of, of the enemy is to divide people from each other, divide people from God. Because the most dangerous place we can be is isolation. And finally, um, and, and this one for me last week and this week gets just, uh, it hits home. There's moments in life when the hope of the resurrection that we have just tangibly, incomprehensibly, but unmistakably intertwines with real life. And it turns from, we have this hope in the resurrection to this just, just angry anticipation that we want the resurrection to be now. Ellen's, Ellen's uncle, uh, Gary, he's, uh, he was always the loudest one at the table, right? Um, he hasn't been able to speak for weeks. He's on, he's on full life support right now uh, and, and likely um, in, the, in the coming hours, days, or weeks, um, the machines will breathe his last breath for him. His left lung is collapsed. And so for me, uh, the hope of the resurrection becomes this, 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 this craving for things to be made right. And as followers of Christ, we are the worst at, at befriending death. When we have a funeral here, we, we make sure to, to, to share with those who are grieving that, that death is a rite of passage. For a believer, for those who belong to Christ, when we die, we believe that our soul is united with Christ in eager anticipation, awaiting for the resurrection when soul and body will be made new and will walk again. See, we, we need to get mad and angry with the right enemies. With sin with isolation, with identity lies, with Satan, and then with death in all of its forms. We know that in Christ's resurrection, he defeated death, but it's not been destroyed yet. First Corinthians says the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And we know that that's true because last week, Wednesday, Wednesday we had a funeral. We have a funeral on Tuesday and a funeral on Wednesday in this church, in this building. The people who are being buried were loved, cherished, and cared for. We know that death is still a reality in our lives. We have to get angry with the right enemies. When we redirect our fight, we stop putting up doors, we stop our walls, we stop closing doors, and we open up space for the Gospels. I think if Paul thought that these people were enemies, he would not have come prepared with a testimony, but with a defense, but rather he offered Christ crucified to his enemies. And why does, why does it matter which enemies we choose? Why does it matter whether or not uh, we see people as enemies uh, or, or we see people as opportunities for grace and mercy? That's because uh, if, if we don't do that, then we, then we rob people like, like Gary from, a, from, from the hope of breathing for the first time again in the resurrection. When we see people as enemies, we stop seeing them as people and we start buying into the identity lies. All of this matters not, not my message, not, not this sermon, uh, 
But all of this matters. The gospel, the, the resurrection is, is because the, the people that you talked about at your tables that you care for, that you care about, that you love and that you cherish and that mean a lot to you. What do we want for them? We want to share in everlasting life. All of this matters because someday Gary is going to breathe freely again. And his booming voice from across the Uno table is going to ask one more time for the rest of eternity. What, what number is at the card at the other end of the table because he can't see so well. And he's still going to lay the wrong card, but he's going to bring with him this rough around the edges spirit of Christ life with him. That's why this matters, because we want so boldly and so badly to live with Christ forever. I think part of the reason Paul is so, so, so passionate in front, of, in front of who we would call enemies is because he knows some of the Jewish men and women who are accusing him. He's known them for a long time. These are friends of his. And he wants them to experience the life-giving power of the resurrection He says to King Agrippa, hey, do you believe in the prophet? You know, I know you do. I know you believe. And I want to ask us to make that our mantra, if only for a season of life. So when when, when when we're tempted to, to make people enemies, we can say, all right, I know that you believe to ourselves. I know that you believe. And let that usher in the reality that Christ has made it so that we don't have enemies in people, but our enemy is is sin. Our enemy is isolation, identity lies, Satan and death, that we can redirect our fight towards the proper enemies. And then when we start facing those, when when sin seems overwhelming, when isolation is too much to bear, when we've been robbed of our identity, and when we're coming to contact, with the deceiver and death creeps into our lives, we can tell ourselves, I know that you believe. And as we say that, I know that you believe, I know that you believe, let that usher in who Christ is. And reminder, yeah, that's right. I should run from sin. It rips families apart. It rips relationships apart. I know that you believe. All right, I'm gonna pursue community just fervently digging my feet in, gritting my teeth and, 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 and pursuing it so that I'm not isolated from God and his people. Uh, when, 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 when identity lies come creeping in and, and that feels overwhelming, we believe the wrong thing about ourselves, we get to say, no, I know that you believe Christ came and died for me. And when the enemy approaches, encroaches on your life and, and seeps into the fabric of your family, of your relationships and begins to divide, we can say, I know that you believe. And when you're faced with death, we can enter into those spaces and say, I know that you believe that the resurrection is true. That Christ came, Christ died. And we get to say to our enemies, no, I know that you believe. And we get to say to the people who we've thought were enemies for all of our lives, I'm sorry. I thought you were the enemy, you're not. Walk with me. Will you forgive me? Will you enter into a life-giving relationship with me? Are there enemies in your life that you thought were enemies but are people? How can we bridge that gap? Father, um, We know that we don't fight a battle of flesh and blood. We fight a spiritual battle, a battle that you've already won. Give us a righteous conviction, Father, to to enter into that battle, to, to, to know that we believe 
that your word is true. And to know that Paul wasn't offering a new way to live, he was offering life to those who would bring him death. So Father, pursue us into community together and help us to defeat those enemies in our lives with the grace of your son, meeting it with the power of the resurrection. Just give us the the grit and determination to pursue you with all that we have, with all that we are. So that as Paul stood before his enemies accused, when we stand persecuted, when we stand in pain, when we stand in trial, when somebody has brought harm to us, when somebody has hurt us, when somebody has has taken everything from us, we can stand there and say, Christ died for you. And we believe that, God. I know that we believe. Help us to live our life sharing testimonies and not defenses. It's in the powerful name of your son, by the power of your spirit, for your glory, Father, that we pray these things.